book of Luke, chapter number 14. Steve Nash was a basketball player for the ah, for everybody. He uh, was Canadian, came down to America, began to play basketball, and ended up he, he's a coach now and, and does a lot of sports cast. I mean, anyway, he said in an interview years and years and years ago, whenever he played, oh, who did he play for? The Sonics before the Suns. My dad used to watch him on on TV back in black and white. Anyway, he, uh, he said in an interview one time, and I, I saw the interview, he said, the hardest thing in basketball is not putting the ball in the net. He said, anybody can learn how to do that. The hardest thing in basketball is not defense. The hardest thing in basketball is passing. He said, because in order to be a passer, you have to understand that you can't do it all yourself. And I thought that was awesome. From a man who, who could shoot the ball and a man who could score the ball, and a man who could dribble the ball, he said the hardest thing is passing because you have to understand that it's not all about you. It's not all about what you can do and what you can accomplish because if you step out on the basketball court and it's you against five other people and you do it all yourself without passing, you're not going to win. It's just not going to happen. And the work of God and our spiritual walk with Him is the same way. Well, we can't do it by ourselves, and we can't even do it with God if our priorities are on us. If our mind is on us. In the book of Luke, chapter number 14, Jesus is trying to get across to these, excuse me, these folks, that it's not all about me. It's not all about what I want, what I desire. It said in verse 15 of Luke, chapter 14, when one of them which sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread of the kingdom of God. And then he said to them, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to all uh, to say unto all of them that were bidden come for all things are now ready. Now as we begin to read verse 18 through 24, we read of people that, that Jesus in, or that the certain man invited Jesus was saying, a certain man invited to supper. He said all things are ready, all things are prepared. And whether we believe it or not, or even whether we acknowledge it or not, God has prepared a way for our life. It is already prepared. It is already finished. It is already done. Y'all ever played Candyland? The old board game, the old board game Candyland. So whenever you play Candyland, there's this route that you're supposed to follow. Here's another one. How about Monopoly? Y'all play Monopoly. You destroy Monopoly, but you play Monopoly. And so there's a route that you have to follow. And you have to go, unless you go to jail, you have to go all the way around. And you have to keep going. And you can't just cut across the middle of the board because that's all of a sudden what you want to do. And you can't skip three or four spaces because that's what you want to do. The path is laid out and you have to follow it, right? Our path and our life is laid out. And we can either follow it or we can deny God. We can refuse to obey God. We can ignore God's leadership. And we can end up somebody flipping our monopoly board over and throwing it all in the chaos and then crying, God, what have you done to my life? You know, most of our problems are because we refuse to listen to Him. Most of our struggles, He would keep us out of if we would but heed His Word. And the ones that He does put us into, if we wouldn't gripe and complain, if we would look for what He's trying to teach us in those troubles, in those trials, it's either a lesson or a blessing. And if we're in the center of His will, it's both. 
say that one more time. The things that we go through, the things that we face, the things that we struggle with, they are a lesson or a blessing. And if we're in the center of His will, they are both. The man said all things are now ready. And they... Ha, I love this. I've never paid attention to it before. But I love they said they all with one consent began to make excuse. And let's read some of these excuses. And I didn't underline it in my Bible because my pen would have run out of ink. Being sarcastic, but I want you to look at all of the eyes in verse number 18, 19, and 20. The first said, I have bought a piece of land and a piece of ground, and I must needs go see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go prove them. I pray thee be me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Not once did they ask God. Not once did they pause and think, what is this all about? Not once did they say, well, what has God got in store for me? What has this man got in store for me? Why is he inviting me? Well, what is going on here? Not once did they slow down because they were, they were tunnel visioned. They were focused. They were prioritized on me, on my, on what I have. On what I on what I want to do on, on what my goals and, and goals are not a bad thing. When I was in high school, our English teacher made us write down or write an essay on, on where you're going to be in five years, and a week after that, where you're going to be in ten years. And most people's was graduating college in five years. We were seniors in high school, so we want to be graduating college and, and starting out with a good job in five years. Ten years, we want to be head over heels into that good job and raising kids, living in a fine house, have two big vehicles, everything paid off. And in 20 years, we want to get kicked back and looking toward retirement, sending our kids off to school. That's the plan. That's our goal. That's what we aspire to do. That don't always happen that way. We don't always get what we plan Matter of fact, I dare say that very seldom does things work out the way that we think they ought to. Very, very, very seldom do things work out the way that we think they ought to. But if we look back and we stay in the center of God's will, they work out the way that He wants them to. Our problem is our priorities and His priorities don't line up. And I sure wish they would. They would all, one consent, begin to make excuses. Saying, I can't come, I can't do this, I can't do that. So the servant came and showed the Lord these things. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, he said, go find everybody else. He said, these, these people, these particular ones that were invited, these folks that I wanted to use, do you have any idea what God could do with our life, what God could do with our church, what God could ha- make happen in this, the, the revival that could occur in this community if we listened, if we paid attention? I saw a, a preacher took a, a selfie of him and his wife one Sunday and put it on Facebook and on the front of his shirt. And he said, oh, you have a question? And they turned around and on the back, it was in the bulletin. I thought that was funny because nobody pays attention to that. And I thought to myself, I said, couldn't you just put it in the Bible? Because the answer is there. We just don't read and study the way we ought to. We don't value it the way that we ought to. We don't pray for God's guidance in our life. And even whenever God shoves us in a direction 
Whenever God says, hey, here's our opportunity, here's, here's the path that I have prepared for your life, we try to find a way to go around it. We try to find a way to, to take a detour. We try to find a way to, to get what I want and what, what God wants. Because God, I want you to bless me, but I don't want to obey you. God, I want you to take care of me, but I want to do my own thing. We can't have both. You see license plates, and they, they come out years ago, I guess. But on the front, they would have two football teams, and in the middle, it would say house divided. Y'all seen those? Yeah. Our heart can't be divided. It don't work that way. Our heart cannot be divided. Luke in chapter number 16. Verse number 10. No, 13. He said, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that word mammon, people, all down, all of my life has said that means money. Or that means Man, I've heard both of them. But as I begin to look at this word this past week, it means man things. Stuff. Stuff. That's what it means. Stuff. Man things. Fleshly things. A a substance. I gave Brother Greg a, a dictionary this morning. That's where I found the things in it. We can't serve God and stuff. We can't be split between what we want to do and what, what God wants us to do. We can't be split between what, 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 what everybody says we ought to do and what keeping up with the Joneses says we ought to do and what we know that God wants to do. And, and tonight, I want to apply it just for a minute. I have sat in church services and the man of God be standing up there preaching. And I have been doing everything that I could not to pay attention. I want to see if you can relate to me. I have sat in the chair of a church service. The man of God standing up there preaching. I have my legs crossed. I have my Bible open on my lap and I'm counting the stripes in the paneling around the building. I counted light bulbs. Or I tried to figure out where the carpet was spliced at. Because it's bound to be spliced somewhere. They didn't make a one sheet of carpet that was 50 feet wide. I tried everything that I could do to distract myself away from what he was preaching. Because at one point God had convicted me and that man was preaching. And I didn't want nothing to do with him anymore. This was not too long ago. Because that man was preaching one time and he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. He was saying what God wanted him to say and I only know that because he was preaching to me. And instead of being convicted by that sermon and instead of being convicted by that message and changing and surrendering to preach, God was burdening me bad. And instead of surrendering to preach, instead of giving up, I sat there in that service and I counted the lines in the panel 
around that church to see how many of them there were. Because I didn't want to listen to it. Because I didn't want to listen to it. Let me say that one more time. Because I didn't want to listen to it. You know how much God cares about it? It's this big G little me, right? God don't care what I want. God knows what's good for I, but God don't care to have my input. He don't need it. He don't want it. God already knows. God already knows what I need. Ain't that what Psalm said? My Jesus knows just what I need. He satisfies and every need supplies. Yes, He knows just what I need. And so instead of, instead of fighting Him, instead of saying, I will never go hear that man preach again, instead of saying, I will never attend that church again, I will never have part in that again. I will never, I will never, I will never. Why don't we say some of that about the things of the world? I will never miss church for this again. I will never put off reading my Bible for this again. How come it's always I will never do something for God, but it's never I will never do something for me? Right? That's what fasting is. When's the last time you fasted? When's the last time you gave up something for God? When's the last time you decided to let let Him use you? There are so many people today that treat church like a hobby. It's all over the world. It's it's all over the country. I was was talking to a man. His name is Brother Dale Robertson. He's an associate youth pastor at Franklin First Baptist. They've been without a pastor for a little over a year now. Really no end in sight on that front, but I was talking to him today and, and he said they, they can't get anybody on board for the Pioneer Christmas and he said, I've tried and I've tried, but they're they're not riding in the parade this year. They're they're not really and I asked him, I said, Well what what, what do you think? He said He said they treat church like an appointment. They show up late, leave early take nothing with them. And as, as preachers, we, we can't see that. We, we don't know that. Because I have no idea how many folks leave the, the, the message of the day in their seat and walk out without it. I, I've done that myself several times and, and I had to repent for that. But We don't know who is blessed and, and who is convicted. It, it, it don't work that way. But as individuals this morning, do you treat the work of God, do you treat His Word, do you treat His service like a hobby? Like something you're just supposed to show up and do? Do you come in and come out and come in and leave out and nothing's changed? Because there's supposed to be a change. There's supposed to be a difference. There's supposed to be a sign. The Bible says the Jews looked for a sign for Jesus to come. And whenever He came, they did not recognize Him because they was dead. He was not what they were looking for. They rejected him because he looked different than what they expected. Sometimes the path that God has prepared for us, the, the path that he has laid out for our life, may be different than what we expected, but God is no less sovereign. God is no less merciful. God is no less omnipotent. Even though it's not what we expected. Even though it's not what we thought. Even though that message that the preacher preached Even though it convicted me in ways that just made me angry, I'm not angry at him. 
I'm not angry at the church. I'm not angry at my parents. I'm angry at me. I can't be angry at God. All he did was point out my sin. I heard a man preach one time. He said whenever you're sitting under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it's like the uh, like God is sitting there. The Holy Spirit is sitting there with a flashlight. And he said the closer he gets, the more of your sin he shines light on. The more of your sin you can see, the more of your sin begins to, begins to come to light. And the whole world may not see it. The person next to you may not see it, but you see it. And it is at that point in your life, it is at that point in your spiritual walk with God that you can repent of that sin. Or you can take your coat, you can pull that collar up, and you can hide down. You can walk out, and you can never come back. You can choose to be offended and leave. You can choose to be convicted and, and turn away from God. Or you can choose to change. And which one we do depends on what outlook we have. Is it all about me, or is it all about God? Is it all about... Is it I, I, I... He said, I bought some land. I got to go see it. I have work to do. I bought some oxen. I got to go take care of them. I bought a wife. I have some personal things that we have to go take care of. Jesus covers them all. He said, There ain't never one of these excuses good enough for stepping out of the bad way of God. Galatians chapter number 2. If you still have your Bibles open, Galatians chapter number 2. Verse number 20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. This afternoon, if you are saved, if you are a born-again believer, you are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I live. Pay attention to this. I know these are very familiar scriptures. He said, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Whenever you are baptized, that is the symbolic uh, surrender or getting rid of or putting away of the old man. And Paul says that you are risen again like Christ is risen in newness of life. That it is washing away of the old man. So whenever we rise up out of that, that baptistry or bathtub or creek or cow trough or whatever it is, it is supposed to symbolize our sin washing away. Gone. And now I live, but not I, but Christ liveth within me. Let's continue reading. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. When is the last time we did something for God? I want to take us through a, a series of questions and I want you to be honest with yourself if you can. Number one, do you believe... That God loves you. If you say no, then stop. None of the rest of the questions are for you. We need to have a different conversation. Do you believe that God loves you? If you answer yes, we move on to the next question. Do you love God? If you answer no, stop. We need to have a new conversation. But if you answer yes, let's move on. Do you love your significant other? Your husband, your wife? If you answer yes, let's move on. If you answer no, we need to have a different talk. Do you believe that your significant other loves you? 
There's no sometimes. It's either yes or no. If you answered no, then just hold tight. And if you answered yes, let's move on. So you love God. You believe that God loves you. You love your significant other. You believe that your significant other loves you. When is the last time that you did something sweet and nice for your significant other? If you're the man, was the last time you washed the dishes, took the trash out, gave her a massage, bought her a, a necklace? When's the last time that you did something nice for her without her asking? Mop the floor. For the wife, when is the last time you rubbed your husband's feet because he's been working hard all day? When is the last time that you did something nice without asking? For my wife, it's all the time, but we're not going to go there. And the next question is the one I want to get to. is When is the last time you did something for God? Because we can, like the song says, and I really like the song. We sang it almost every single Sunday morning when I was growing up. It's called The Love of God. And the last verse says, Could we within the ocean field and where the skies of parchment made, where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. If the whole ocean was filled to ink with ink, we could not write in the sky the love of God without all of the ocean going dry. The world cannot contain the love of God. We cannot comprehend what He has done for us and He didn't have to. When is the last time we did anything for Him? Let me ask you another question. If you ceased to show love for your significant other, would that relationship get healthier? Or would that relationship get better? Would it get better or worse? Would you grow closer together? Or would it become... Aggressive, warlike in your home. Would you get closer together or would you drift apart? If we do not show love one to another in our physical relationships, then we, we drift apart. <clears throat> Same thing goes for our spiritual relationship. <clears throat> he said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And because of that, because of that, he said, I, I live, not I, but Christ that liveth in me. There's no excuse for not living for Him. There's no excuse for not praising Him. There's no excuse for not worshiping Him. There's no excuse for not valuing Him. There's no excuse for not working and living for Him. There's no excuse for whenever God puts a burden on our heart for not stepping out in faith and moving forward. There's no excuse for not obeying Him. There's no excuse whenever God has laid it out and God has prepared. He said, all things are made ready. All we have to do is trust Him. All we have to do is believe Him. But the thing about it is, is in the garden, Adam and Eve got to the point that they wanted to, they wanted to further themselves. They said they weren't satisfied just being here. They weren't satisfied just living in a perfect place with a perfect God. Being perfect in all ways and every way. Having everything that they ever could have wanted or ever could have needed, they weren't satisfied. 
They wanted to further themselves. They wanted to better themselves. And they gave in to the desires of the flesh so that they could be made wise. And all mankind was cursed because of it. This afternoon, do we put God above ourselves? Is it a big G and a little me in our life? Or do we say, God, I can't do this. That's what Moses did. He said, God, I can't do this. God, I, I can't. That's what Elijah said. God, I am alone. God, it is. It, it, I am done. I am finished. The quote that everybody likes so much is God plus one is the majority. But if you and God are facing the opposite directions, he's probably not going to fight the battle that you're looking at. If you and God are, uh, if there is something between you, if there is an enmity between you and God, then there is an enemy between you and God. Most of the time, that enemy is our flesh. That enemy is the I. That enemy is the me, and it's not about me. It's about Christ that lives in me. And I pray to God that we could see that in a greater way. Y'all pray for me that I could see that in a greater way. Because just like in basketball, the hardest thing to do is to give it up and to say that I don't need the points, I don't want the points, I can't do it by myself, I have to pass the ball. In life, we can't do it by ourselves. We can't make a plan and make that plan happen. We can't will it into existence. But God can. We have to play with God. We have to trust God. We have to believe God. He's on our team. Oh, we have a verse of a song. I ask for a verse of invitation. Someone has something on that.